from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Welcome, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. We are in studio and taping a live version of the lightning round. Wherever you are tuning in from, be it the UK to way down under or South Africa to Shipshawana, Indiana or... Biola Battery, Louisiana. It's great to have you here on the show. Thank you for joining us. I am joined in studio by KC over in the booth and Rob the Rocket sitting next to me. Good, Rob. How are you? Good, sir. I'm fine. Uh, boy, everybody's coming from all over. So uh, let's get it on, Scandinavian soul man. Do agreed. It. Agreed. Good to see everybody joining in. We're going to jump right into your questions here. And so if you have questions for me regarding life, love, relationships, career, you have me here. I am here. I exist in this moment to serve you. So fine people, whether you are checking in from Baltimore or I see others joining in from uh, Great Britain, we've got also Jacksonville, Florida. What questions do you have for me today? And uh, Rob, if you'll monitor YouTube there, you got uh, it. please do. All right. I have someone asking the question, and this is funny because this question actually just came up in a counseling episode we just taped on our last show. And the question is, basically, and I'm going to paraphrase here, Sven, as I look back on my marriage that has been miserable basically since the beginning, I realize my husband checked out right around the exact time we were married, around the wedding. And so the question asked, the person is asked, is basically saying that they're wrestling with that and struggling with that. And they want to know why, why did they check out? Why did my husband check out? People check out of something when there is fear. Checking out is a stepping backward. Checking out of a relationship or out of something is done out of some sort of fear and fear of what? Fear of more pain. There's pain either because of this person or because of what this person represents. I've been hurt in relationships before, so I'm going to check out or I'm going to walk into the relationship half checked out already. In other words, I'm not going to fully engage because I'm afraid that I'm, I'm terrified that if I open up to you, you might leave me. You may not like who I am. I may not get to keep you. And so someone checks out because they're afraid of the pain. And so for a lot of men, this is a huge problem. The reason they're already half checked out of life already is because in part, a lot of men, at least in the Western world, we're taught that feelings aren't important and feelings are bad and you're not a man if you have feelings. And so guess what? They may have just enough feelings. It's, in a lot of cases, it's not even they're being surreptitious or they're being devious in checking out of the marriage or or not expressing their feelings, they may act, you know, bullish or whatever, but very often the reason they're doing it is they're just afraid, afraid of not feeling like a man or thinking, oh, you know, feelings are just for wusses. I'm not going to do that. Or feeling that if I show you who I really am, you might mishandle it. You might mistreat me. You might hurt me. So if someone is checking out of a relationship, a friendship, a love relationship, it's fear. And they may never admit that fear. They may never say that. They may not even identify it as fear because that alone, <laughs> identifying, well, I'm feeling afraid, honey. I'm afraid you won't like me. That, that implies that they have the ability to admit what their feeling is that's causing them to not express feelings. 
Do you see the problem? That there's a little bit of a loop there? Um, and so people check out of relationships generally out of fear. And it may not even be fear of you. It may be fear of, the, again, like they've been conditioned to believe, for instance, a man's not a man if he has feelings, or maybe they're afraid of a parent. And that if things don't go right, I have to just keep my real self you know, locked down, not only to feel safe, but to make this work because it's the next thing I got to do, or it's because it's expected or what have you. And so they stay looped into the relationship, even though they're not fully engaged because maybe they're afraid of criticism from someone who has power over them or whose approval they want or criticism they seek. Okay. Brittany actually follows up on that. And she asks the question, I feel like the guy I am dating is reserved and hurt, and but I can't tell if he's worth the time I'm putting in. It's not really a question of, I, I get what you're saying there, Brittany. It's not really a question of, is this person worth the time? I mean, yes, that, that's the question on one hand. But the, really the question is that we need to be asking in really any situation is, how does this feel to me? What percent satisfaction do I have in this relationship? Is it 40%? What percent does this relationship feel good? Is it 40%? Is it 65%? Is it, and not that it always has to be 100% or even always has to be 90%. That's not the question. The question really, Brittany, Brittany asks, you know, I'm, this guy's dating and reserve, this guy I'm dating, is he worth time putting in? How does it feel and has how it has felt in this relationship? Is it trending down or is it trending up? Apart from the occasional good day or the occasional bad day or bad week or good week, whatever, what is the general trajectory of that stock? Is it trending down or trending up? And do you foresee that stock? trending back up. You're basically saying it's trending down. He's dating reserve. You're basically saying you don't like that because you say, I can't tell if he's worth the time I'm putting in, right? In other words, you don't like the reserved and and hurt and you want him to open up. So the question becomes, has your satisfaction? How, how Here's a way I like to phrase it. With any situation, it can be a career, it can be a hobby that you have, it can be um, a love relationship, a friendship. Ask yourself this question. What percent does this thing or this person or this path Hold my attention. I like to be around people that hold my attention. I want to be in a career that just naturally holds my attention, and I am. I want to be in a love relationship with someone who holds my attention, and I am. Now, there are always going to be fluctuations in that. It's like, ah, oh, fuck, this week, I just need to get the fuck away. You're killing me here. You're annoying the fuck out of me, Sven. I need to get away, you know, whatever, fine. But overall, it does this person hold your attention? So my question to Brittany is, what percent does he hold your attention? And what percent, because of X, Y, or Z, whatever the reasons are, is really quite irrelevant. Does he hold your attention less and less? And if so, that's your own soul talking. And, and it's really not about this person, per se. It's about how I feel, which is why feelings are so fucking important, because they're the GPS of your own fucking soul. It's your GPS showing you what you really feel or think about a situation. All right, next question. Rob, you got a question from YouTube. I do have a question from YouTube, Sven, and it is this. As someone who's been deliberately single for two years now after a horrific experience with a narcissist, are there good ways to get out and try to test the waters again? Oh, sure. But before you, you get out and test the waters again, I would ask you the question, um, have you tested the waters within? And that is to say, have you actually done... Uh, the work of flushing out your anger, your pain, your rage, your sadness, your disappointment, your frustration, your feelings of inadequacy, your feelings of insecurity, all of the things that came as a result of that relationship and likely the stuff before that relationship. Have you done the work of purging that stuff? Because truth is, that's the stuff that set you up for that relationship in the first place, okay? 
And uh, because it, it taught you you had no self-worth. And as a result, you started allowing things that in the beginning of a relationship you should never allow. And you will allow those again. You will look past red flags. You will allow someone to mistreat you in whatever ways feel yucky to you that you don't like to be mistreated. You will allow it in the future if you have not done the work of healing from that relationship and healing from the relationships, primarily childhood, that set up that relationship, that created your mentality of, oh, someone being you know somewhat mean to me, well, that's normal. That's how I grew up. That's just normal. Well, shit, if you still think that today, you're going to do the exact same fucking thing in your next relationship. You're going to allow mistreatment. So it's not just um, doing, looking at what's out there and attacking what's out there. You have to be attacking what's in here because that's what set up all those problems in the future. But to play the ball as it lies, uh, are there ways to go about putting yourself out there? Yeah. Um, I believe in two things when it comes to meeting people and, and uh, sort of opening yourself up to life again when it comes to dating life and love. I believe in organic and I believe in not forcing it, but just putting yourself out there. I think we are fortunate. A lot of people think we aren't, but I think we are fortunate to live in an era where there, where you can date online. I mean, where you can go on online dating websites. Um, and I met my present girlfriend on a dating website 10 years ago. We've been together for 10 years. I've moved my company across the country uh, to be with her and it's worked out great. Uh, so, But I enjoyed that process. You don't have to do online dating websites. If you don't like them, don't do them. You know, if you're trying to find love. And that's what I mean. It's got to be organic. Just do those things that you do. And some people say to me, well, Sven, all I ever do is stay home and read and go to work. Great. Then just do that. Just do that. Just do that. Do you know how many clients I have had who have had random organic, just happen naturally, people crossing their paths, whether physically crossing their path or a friend of a friend. And, you know, I had, a, I, I've told this story a million times before, but I had a client who was in a, um, just like to read. All she liked to do was read and go to work. And that was her life. And she had, you know, a dog or whatever. And uh, she was in a book club. And sure enough, it's not what you think. She met someone in the book club. No, she didn't meet someone in the book club, but she made a couple of really good friends and like something in her house, a thermostat or plumbing or whatever the fuck broke down. And you think, oh, I see somebody in the book club had a brother who came over and fixed it. No, somebody in the book club had a brother who came over and fixed it. And they got to talking. It turns out that somebody in the book club who had a brother, well, that brother had a friend who only liked to read and, and whatever else. And it was the friend of the brother of the book club person. Just be yourself. You don't have to, if you're forcing shit, you're forcing it. Just go from where you feel inspired. You don't have to force love. In fact, you can't force love. I was just talking to a 20-year-old kid, uh, client, and uh, last week, and I have you know several of those, and uh, he's been saying, you know, he got out of a crappy relationship, and he's been saying, you know, he did a lot of work on healing and working with me and so forth, and he's been sort of off and on. I don't want love. I do want love. I don't want love. And he's been saying, you know, I guess what I'm really frustrated by is that I do want love, but it's not coming, Sven. And I said, well, you know, there are a couple old sayings in that regard, one of which is we don't choose love, love chooses us. And that doesn't mean the lover person chooses us. It means that love itself decides when it's time for you to have love. The gods decide. Cupid pokes his arrow through you. You don't get to decide. You can put yourself out there in whatever ways you want to put yourself out there. You can date organically, as I was talking about, whatever. But as far as the actual relationship and where it feels right, that doesn't happen until the universe decides it's time. I went 10 years between my second divorce and meeting the woman that I've been with presently. 
10 years. Now I dated in there and I uh, fell in love once or twice, but I wasn't in a significant relationship, uh, but I did fall in love and uh, two different, very lovely women. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't until now, you know, 10 years ago now. So it was 10 years between them and then 10 years in this relationship that I met someone who just clicked and it began to flow and flow and flow and flow more. But I didn't get to pick when it happened. Would I have preferred that after my, you know, second divorce that like two, three years later that I fell in love and we had a great relationship and I'd been in the relationship then? Yes, I would have much preferred that. But in retrospect, no, because I had to change. I had so much growing to do. I had so much healing to do. I had so much work to do, books to write and other shit and so forth. But it's just, it wasn't my time. And one of the hardest things about love is you don't get to pick when you get love. You can get into a relationship. You can pick that. That's easy. But are you settling? Are you choosing it just so people don't criticize you? Are you choosing it just because you're so afraid when you're alone? Because when you're alone, all those voices rise up inside of your head. So you can have a relationship, but you're kidding yourself if you think just having a relationship is love. And you fucking know it. I'm telling you what you already know. You know it. When you're in a relationship, well, I'm in a relationship, I'm doing the right thing, or here I am, boy, I've got a companion, but this sucks. This isn't fucking love, but gee, I've got someone, right? So if you want love, you don't get to pick when love comes. All right, next question. All right, now here's something interesting. The reason they say love is blind is because Cupid is blindfolded when he shoots you with his arrow. All right, now obviously we're talking about mythical gods and there is no arrow, real arrow and so on and so forth, but I, I want to address this notion of love being blind. It is true on one hand that love is blind, that it causes that when we feel something strongly, we tend to overlook um, problems, right? And then that's when the whole choir of people saying, oh yeah, I overlooked, he was such a fucking asshole from the beginning, or man, I should have seen it, she was a bitch, and blah, blah. That's when everybody gets on their soapbox and starts ranting about how, God dang, I should have known in the beginning, they were such a fucking asshole in the beginning. What I'm saying is very often the blind part is on my fault. It's not that I felt love per se. I mean, yes, you did. But what was also operating when love is blind, it's because what's really operating is fear. Fear that, oh, I got to have this person. Fear I'll never have someone this good. Fear of the, if this person leaves me, oh, but this is the first person that's ever really liked me and I don't want to let them go. That very often our fears are our own pain from our self or from our own past, excuse me, or we've been conditioned to believe, as I was talking about earlier, that someone being rude to me, that's normal. That's how I grew up. That's not a red flag, okay? So it's not that the love per se is blind. It's that I've been blinded by the conditioning, what I've been taught to believe love is, or what I've been taught about how shitty I am. You know, to those bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself as a child, or the fear of being alone, or the fear of losing someone. All of those are blinding you, but love in and of itself isn't blind. But, but all of that being said, the opposite is true, that love sees better than anything else. And I want to say it was James Hillman who said this. Brilliant, brilliant uh, American psychologist, ran the uh, Jung Institute in Switzerland for a while. And he wrote a, several books back in the 90s, The Soul's Code and um, a few others, brilliant, deep, really dense writing though. It's not an easy read, but they were bestsellers. And I believe it was Hillman who said, um, love is, when we're in love, we actually, when someone is in love, when we are in love, it's when we actually see very best. Some people say, oh, I didn't see him for who he really was until after the fact. No, it's, it's when someone feels loved, it's when their authentic self comes out. That other side that comes out afterwards, 
after the pain of the breakup and the hurling of insults, that's their shield coming back up. That's their pain and all their fears coming back up. But the love, when we feel loved, that's when we open up and are most vulnerable. So we have the best eyes to see someone when we see them with love and we have the, um, and when they feel loved, when they feel loved, not just when I'm loving you, but when that other person feels loved is very often when they reveal their honest self. And that the angry, hurtful self is the self, the maladaptive self that goes back to all the pain from their own fucking childhood and they're feeling hurt now as well. Um, so yes, love is blind, but on the other hand, no, love is the only thing that actually sees clearly on one hand. All right. I got one here right in your wheelhouse, my friend. Are you ready for this? Yes. I wasn't allowed to have a job as a teen. Mom was angry that I wanted one because, quote, she could provide for me, end quote. Now I have a business and I struggle believing I deserve to make money on my own. Hmm. Mom wouldn't let you have a job as a teenager um, because mom said, I'll provide for you. And now I struggle to, yeah, believe that I'm worthy or it's okay that I have a job now and have a career and a business now. Yeah. Um, it'd be curious. I'm curious to know what mom's issue was. I mean, it could be on one hand, oh, she just wanted to control me and she wanted me to do what I wanted her to do. Or mom took it as an ego thing. Oh, if my kid is working, it means I'm less of a parent or whatever, but somewhere in the in the whole mix, and you link those two things together. You link mom not letting you have a job, and then now you feeling unworthy of having a career or much less a successful career. You linked them, I didn't link them. So what you're fundamentally saying is that somewhere in that experience, mom was teaching me that I'm not good enough or worthy of having my own fucking career. And so you've been taught to believe that. So then the question becomes, do you really believe that? Do you, do you, setting mom's words aside, whatever she may have been saying, because you didn't say what her reason was for saying that. You didn't say that she said, you can't have a job because I can provide for you, but okay, but yeah, I'm not doubting you can provide for me, but I want a job because, you know, I just want the independence or I want spending money or I just want to get the fuck out from under this roof or whatever it might've been. Um, there wasn't further reasoning, but you are linking those two. So somewhere in there, you either got the message or that teenage you interpreted mom's message as you're not good enough. She may have deliberately sent that message. You're not good enough to have your own job. You don't, you don't deserve a job. Or the, the young person's brain interpreted whatever she was saying as you're not good enough. You're not worthy. And so what you've got to begin to look at in your own personal uh, journaling, in your writing of letters to your mom that you don't send, in your therapy work with your therapist, you've got to look at what was the message mom was sending me? What specifically were the words that she said beyond that or in other situations regarding your worth? And another way of attacking that, sort of reverse engineering it or side engineering it, uh, running a red team, so to speak, is um, what were other messages you got from your mom about your own self and your sense of worth? And, or if there was another parent or grandparent present, what were the messages you got about your worth? Because you're linking your worth uh, in specifically to this case, in the case of your worth in terms of work. I'm not worthy of work. What's fascinating about that is so many people get precisely the opposite message. I don't have worth unless I work. Isn't that interesting? So many people come on to my show or come to me in counseling or just reach out to me and so much of their worth as a childhood was linked to their capacity to produce. 
Now, it may have been work. I have clients who, at ages of five and six years old, were pushed in competition, in, in chess, in sports. Yes, at five and six years old. Yes, I'm not fucking lying to you. There are plenty of sports where they start that young. You ever want, I grew up in Minnesota. You want to play fucking hockey? You're skating by two or three years old. You're playing band, not uh, band squirts or peewees or whatever by fucking seven, eight. You know, you're going to 3 a.m. in the morning fucking ice time at Columbia Arena. I mean, it's just like, this is fucking early shit, but you got the message that your worth is tied up in your capacity to produce, to do what I expect of you. But you're coming at it, this person who just posed the question, coming at it the opposite. You're basically saying that your ability to work and feel good about your work is tied up in your your own worth or your lack of worth. So it's an inversion of the equation. So, and so just for the record, just as an aside, and I want to hear what you have to say here, Rob, because it looks like you want to say something. But just as an aside, to those parents who have children who say, I'm just going to parent the opposite of how my parents parented, here's an, one more example, as if we don't have enough already. That doesn't work. That doesn't work because you can have just as great a pathology on that end of the spectrum as you can at that end of the spectrum. So here we have something. So many kids are taught that their worth is tied up in their work. And so they get into adulthood and they work and they have these careers and they have the money. And Hey, I'm producing. I'm fulfilling my role as a man. I'm fulfilling my role as a person. I am good. I am producing. See, I'm hitting my numbers. I'm hitting my quotas. And that because their whole life was the source of their sense of worth. But so somebody comes along and says, I'm not going to do that to my kid. I'm going to make sure my kid never works. I'm going to make sure my kid doesn't have to work. And I'm going to, and now we have someone on YouTube sent us a question and says, I was told as a teenager, mom wouldn't let me work. She said, I can provide for you. You're not going to work. So we potentially have someone swinging the exact opposite, doing a potentially the opposite of what mom's parents did. And it's creating just as much harm because here's this adult with a successful business, a successful career saying, yeah, I've got the success and I've got this company, but I don't feel like I deserve it. So do you see how just doing the opposite, you are still taking your cue from an external power source. You're still not power parenting deliberately. You're just parenting in reaction. So to answer your question, what you need to go and do is you need to go inside in your own personal journaling, use my book. There's a hole in my love cup. Use these tools as a mechanism to go inside, identify those messages, identify where those messages came from, identify other ancillary messages, sister messages that feed into that belief, I'm not worthy. Because what's keeping you from feeling worthy, feeling love, feeling appreciative, uh, appreciative, feeling um, like you, you, you are good, what's keeping you from that is all the counter messages. It's not, oh, I'm just going to focus. No, I'm good. I'm just going to focus, focus, focus. I'm going to willpower my way to feeling good. You can't willpower your way because you've got all these messages inside dragging your fucking ass down. You have to get those negative messages out. And this is how we do it. All right, Rob, you got a question? for Yes, me? that same listener uh, wrote again and explains uh, she had to provide for herself as a teen so she wouldn't let me make money. That's it. I mean, that literally, without knowing that, that's exactly what I was just saying, that mom had to provide for herself as a dean. There's no fucking way I'm going to put that shit on my own kids. And I mean, the impulse is good. The intent is good, right? That mom wanted to provide what she thought would be much better parenting than she had gotten. So the intent was good. I don't want my kids to have to go for shit. But as we see, as I said, when the pendulum swings back the other way, it can do just as much damage. And you guys have heard me say that one about where, you know, the parent grew up with very cold, cold, cold parents. And then uh, this person 
raise their children with every single time they came into the room or left the room or got out of the car or got into the car. Every single time they gave the child a hug. Literally, the kid just went in to use the bathroom and get a fucking peanut butter sandwich and a couple of Oreos during the commercial break before Wide World of Sports comes back on and the kid comes back in and the parent reaches up and gives them a hug. Do you wanna know what happened? The kid didn't even make it teen years. The kid made it to like nine and already was pushing, the kids, excuse me, already pushing the parent away. And I won't say if it was a father or mother. And so, boy, it's not working for that kid, is it? And the parent kept doing it and doing it well into the teen years. And the children, a couple of the children, distanced themselves more and more from the parent to the point where the parent couldn't understand why the parent or why the children felt alienated from the mother. That was it. And the parent thought they were doing good by just doing the opposite. Worst, we're worse. <laughs> we are, all of us, going to bring much more right back to you right after this short break. What are the aspects of yourself that you've still not made peace with? What is the single biggest core belief that is harming your life? Do you truly know the voice of your soul? These are just three of the hundreds of self-led questions that Sven has carefully curated for you to dive deep and pull up your most authentic self. Badass Wisdom on paperback is out November 20th, but if you just can't wait, the audiobook is available now on badasscounseling.com. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. Hello, fine humans. Good to have you back. We are in studio. I'm joined by Rob the Rocket and KC. Rob, you want to weigh in on anything under the sun? You're doing so well. All I want to do is get out of your way. <laughs> You're doing so well, son. Here, come here. Pat me on the head. Not, not your father. Okay, I know. I'm I, I am not. All right. That's what I tell my wife also. Just please, what? no matter what, don't think of me as your father. <laughs> you know, wives who call their husbands daddy. Daddy. You know, and I realize they're thinking about their child, but still, I find that to be unfortunate. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, you can tell me. And some people choose it, and we are adults. So, hey, if you choose it, your life, go for it. Just not your thing, right. it sounds like. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, that registers as a no. All right. So I've got a question here uh, from Priscilla over here on Facebook. Hello, Priscilla. Why does my significant other hurt our children when he's mad at me? Oh, God. I can't even tell you the number of times I've seen this. I've experienced it in my own life, and I see it all the time. And it's not just in divorce or separation or breakups. It's to your point, Priscilla, your husband. You don't say your ex-husband. Why does my ex-husband basically hurt the kids or punish the kids or be mean to the kids when he's mad at me? Uh, a couple of reasons. One, this person clearly has no emotional control. They get so, this your husband gets so swollen with uh, negative feelings. He already has so much negative feeling inside his love cup. So much pain and shit and anger and crud from his past that's been stuffed in there. So that when even one more drop drops in, it electrifies all of those memories that have emotional charges attached to them, all that crud from his past. And it probably doesn't take much. So he gets an argument with you and everything gets electrified. So he, he can't control it. And it's not just that he can't control it. He's never done the work to get all that crud from his past, all the pain from his past out of him. 
So this is the emotional work we're fucking talking about here, people. It's getting that shit from your past out of you. People say, oh, that, you know, you're being triggered. Yeah, but it's not the being triggered that is the real problem. The problem is that the, the what's, it's not that something outside of me is triggering me. It's what's being triggered inside of you. You have control over that. Yes, you can distance yourself from things or people that trigger you, but it doesn't change the fact that the dynamite is inside of you. You can avoid matches and lighters all you want, but the dynamite and the fuses are inside you. And until you get the fucking dynamite out of you, you're walking time bomb, ticking time bomb, right? Um, so he does it because he hasn't done the work to get out all his shit. And the most indefensible, excuse me, the person's most needing defense in the whole equation are the least defended. He's going after the weakest link, the children. What's What do we call that? We call that a bully. We call that a fucking asshole. We call that abuse, right? So your husband is abusing your children. Your husband is bullying your children. And why, again, why? Because he's swollen with his own shit. Why also? Potentially because he knows it hurts you. Uh, and it feels good to him. It, he feels big. He feels good when he makes others feel bad and makes others feel small. But also he knows it hurts you. I'm betting a lot of times this will do it. If, you know, if you got a, you know, if some, if one of the kids, I had a client this week, uh, you know, one of the, my client, an adult in forties or whatever, the parent, this, my client was the favorite of the father and the sibling was the favorite of the mother. And so whenever the mother was a, a mad at the father, the mother would take it out on my client because the mother knew the daddy loved me. And so mom would hurt me when she, as a way to get back at dad. I mean, it's just fucking vile, cruel shit. Attacking the least uh, powerful element, attacking the weak uh, gazelle in the herd when you attack the children. But I'm going to put something in your lap here, and I know you're not going to like it, Priscilla. And it's simply this, you're allowing it we just taped an episode of the show earlier today, uh, a counseling episode, and the particular gentleman on the show, Michael, was talking about how you know his mother divorced his father in the 30s, uh, excuse me, in Michael's 30s, and he and his siblings were angry at mom for not divorcing dad and getting the kids the hell out of there when the kids were little. And so not only did they have to eat dad's shit, metaphorically speaking, all those decades, but it affected how they view themselves. And Michael was saying in this particular session that'll air in early November, Michael was saying that that effect of having to walk on eggshells and knowing dad could lash out and that dad would put him down and that, you know, trying to get dad's approval, but also trying to avoid dad's attacks, that that completely 100%, he said it 100% drove his decisions, particularly decisions regarding career. He was forever trying to get his dad's approval, but he was forever trying to avoid dad's criticism. And he was, and he and his siblings were resentful of his mother that she never got the fuck out of there earlier. So the onus is on you, Priscilla. And yes, there are things that can make it very difficult if you are being abused yourself or financial matters or whatever. But in the end, your highest charge in life, once you have a child, whether you are a male, a female, or non-binary, or a trans person, once you have a child, your highest responsibility is the protection and the love and tending the emotional 
and physical needs of that child. Boom, done. And if you're not doing that, they have every right to blow you the fuck out of the water later. Fact. All right, next question. And just for the record, on that note that I just said, I'm really speaking to kids in your teens, 20s, and 30s. And yes, forgive me. I know you're offended I call you a kid, but you get to be 56 and tell me you're not a fucking kid when you're in your 20s and 30s. All right, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just whatever. Anyway, point is... um, This kid thing, don't have a kid because you think it's the next thing in life and I I guess I'm just gonna do it. Don't have a kid because someone's pressuring you to have a kid. Don't even fucking get married if someone's pressuring you to have, you know, to get married or whatever because if it doesn't feel right, don't fucking do it. And people will start asking, if you've been dating someone, I said this to one of my kids when they're in college and they've been dating someone for a few years and I said to my my child and their um, partner, I said, hey, um, you know, just because people are asking, so when are you getting married? And, you know, da, 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 it's, and gee, that'd be great. And you have friends getting married or whatever. doesn't mean you have to. Don't let momentum. Now, this is everyone, every age. Don't let momentum determine the trajectory of your relationship. Just because you've been going in this direction. I, I have clients who say, you know, I, my, uh, my um, father came to me the day before our wedding and said, if you don't get married, I've spent all this money. If you don't get married, I'll disown you. Even though my client had gone to the father and said, listen, I I can't do this. This doesn't feel right. And so the father basically pressured my client who was in their twenties at the time, all sorts of, or I knew right before, or I knew in months leading up to the wedding that I didn't want to be with this person. Or I knew early in the dating, but I kept doing it because gee, we had been together or gee, my parents were critical or whatever the external reason. Don't let momentum carry you forward into a relationship that doesn't feel right. You want to know why? Because you'll be knocking on my fucking door or some great therapist door, you know, your therapist, whatever. You'll be knocking on your clergy person's door seeking help 5, 10, 20 years later. Why? Because you realize I never wanted this fucking thing to begin with. I just went along because I was feeling pressured. If you're in your 20s, your teens, your 30s, whatever age, don't let anyone pressure you into marriage and definitely don't let anyone pressure you into children. All right. Uh, I'm going to take just a couple more questions here. Um, I'm going to take one more question. All right. You got one? Cue it up, Rob. I got one, and I, right. think, I think you'll like it. All right. Hi, Sven. Hi. Can a scapegoat child be expected to pour love into the younger sibling's love cup? Can a scapegoat child be expected? Expected. And what it doesn't say there is expected by parents or expected by siblings? Or just in general. Or just in general. Um, the mere fact that you bring up, okay, first of all, you're acknowledging you're the scapegoat child. So you're called on for, you are dubbed with uh, being the problem of things. Um, and if you are talking about younger siblings, that means you're not dubbed as the problem of things by them. You're dubbed by as being the, the problem in things by the people in power, which is likely mother, father, whoever, parents, whoever's raising you. Okay, so you're seen as the source of the problem and you are being expected, your word, to basically pour love into the love cups, your younger siblings. Well, I have to believe, first of all, you don't have a lot of love in your love cup. And the mere fact that you say, can I be expected to, inclines me to believe you don't want to. It's not that you don't love your siblings, but for whatever reason, you don't want to. Robbie, were you going to say something? He says both. Ah, both. I'm expected both by my younger siblings and by my parents to pour love in. But if you've been scapegoated, you again, you don't likely have. You 
you've been taught that you're the problem, you're the problem, which means somewhere inside of you, you believe likely you suck, I'm not good enough, uh, I don't matter. And this message that you should be pouring love in your lovely, your younger siblings love cups is a direct, it's implicit in that is that you don't matter, they matter more than you. You need to take responsibility to which I say to the parents, do your fucking job. You're the parent. This is your job. Yes, I love my siblings, but love of my siblings is optional. It's not an obligation. I'm not obligated to pour love into their love cup. It's done out of the, the fullness of a child's heart. Children are naturally loving, naturally loving, and they will naturally show love to their siblings. You will naturally show love to your siblings, but if you're being expected to do it, it means you're being pressured, which tells me the parent is expecting you to do some aspect of their job. So my message to you is give the love that feels good inside of you to give to anyone, be it your lover, your friend, your younger siblings, and don't give any more than that. And your younger siblings, just tell them, I love you so much. But you, you also are allowed to have your boundaries. You don't exist to serve everyone else, even though you've been conditioned to believe that that's where your worth is and you're serving everything else. And at some point, you're gonna have to have the courage to stand up to parents that try to foist that shit onto you because it's bullshit. You do your fucking job, mom. You just do you. You just do you, dad. And I will love my siblings as I love my siblings. And you don't get to determine that. Somebody's seriously fucking controlling you. What you really need to do is you need to go inside and you need to address, address your own sense of self-worth because your worth, I guarantee inside of you, you think you have no worth unless you're serving other people. You wouldn't even be considering this question. You wouldn't even be struggling with this unless inside of you, you had some measure, likely a hearty dose of the belief that I only have worth when I'm giving to others and that I don't matter. And those are the exact... Uh, chunks and, and uh, of raw sewage inside of you that have to come out. All right, folks, we are going to call it quits. We're going to be revving up a brand new show in about five minutes, another light, lightning round. So if you've still got questions, please tune right back in. On behalf of Rob the Rocket and KC in the booth, on behalf of the whole Badass Counseling, everyone, everywhere, everything, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey!